Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. I hope that that what we do here as a church shapes what you do daily. Um, We hope that the liturgy of what we do in a church service isn't anything unlike what our daily life should be like. And so gratitude should be part of that. Taking communion. If you want to take communion in your house, go for it. You don't need my permission as a pastor. You can take it. That's God's totally okay with that. And it can be the bread that you have. If it's a slice of Wonder Bread and some juice, cool. Like, if you need that reminder to connect with God, do it. We have Prager Brother bread. Like, it's not unleavened, like, whatever, like, wine, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, what matters is that we're connecting to the divine and what God's doing in our lives. So let's, let's always remember that. Let's center back around that. Um, so thank you guys for that. Are we dismissing youths? No, they're hanging. Cool. Hang with us. We're going to get into the message. We're going to talk about gratitude a little bit today. I'm going to read a passage. Um, unless someone that just loves reading would be willing to read this passage before we dig into it. Anybody that has like a really good reading voice? (laughs) Just like volunteer you. Um, No, I'll read it. I want you guys to meditate on it, listen to it, begin to hear, listen for the characters that come up in this story. This is a parable that Jesus tells. And when Jesus tells a parable, um, what he's doing is trying to speak to a greater story about the kingdom of God. So the story may have things that'll just uh, maybe inspire, trigger, like visions, ideas, concepts that may be distracting. Try not to let that happen, but it's okay. It's going to happen. But begin to see the big picture of what Jesus might be trying to communicate to us um, as we read this. So here we go. Whoa, hold up. We need scripture. There we go. So it's in Matthew chapter 20. As you know, we we use... um, the lectionary is our guide, and this lectionary year, it's going through Matthew, and so um, that's the passage we're preaching through. So uh, Matthew 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This is how he starts it out. You want to talk about the kingdom of heaven? This is kind of what it looks like. This is what Jesus uses as an analogy to, um, to talk about a parable. Um, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So he went out, hired some people. They're working. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Uh, Apparently, it's tradition in that time that you could get hired as um, on farms in that area by just waiting in the courtyard of an area, and you get hired on. Um, so he goes and hires some more. He's like, "We need more workers. We got to keep going." So go, continues on. He went uh, went out again at noon uh, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. They answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said 
to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first ones. So going in reverse, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. What did the workers that started early in the morning, what were they promised? A denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Those of us that are thankful for work, but also recognize that it's hard work. Um, But they got paid. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. I like that it says friend. He's like, I'm not your enemy. I'm trying to help you. I hired you, gave you work. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that? Uh, to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? If you want to highlight or underline something, are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So again, he's talking about the kingdom. I'm going to sum it up again. I'm going to just kind of break it down because it's a bit of a story. Um, How much did they all get paid? One One denarius. All right. So they got paid a day's wage in that time. It's fair. They agreed to it. Um, It was equal pay, regardless of how long they worked, right? Everyone got equal pay. Um, They wanted to work, but no one hired them. So everyone agreed that they desired work. They wanted the work. They were standing around in the courtyard, and they were like, we have nowhere to work. The farmer came and said, will you come work for me? Giving them work that they wanted. They agreed to one denarius, that was it. All got paid. Uh, Longer working employees got jealous, right? Naturally, they worked harder, they worked longer. Um, And so for them to see that discrepancy must have been a little frustrating, right? So let's unpack it. If this is the way that Jesus is describing the kingdom of God, we have to look at this story and begin to say, what is he saying about it? What are maybe the things beneath the thing that are happening here? And one of the things I want to say is we can't get hung up on, I guess, side issues, all right? Because the very end, the kind of the moral of the story was the response of this farmer, the one who hired him. He says, are you envious because I'm generous? Are you jealous because I'm so generous to these other workers that that bothers you because they agreed to a certain amount, right? The farmer's response, verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am so generous? He's like, don't I have the right to do that? Don't I have the right to be generous towards them? And so this automatically probably brings up thoughts, um, concepts uh, that can be very distracting, as I mentioned, um, where we can start to get into Um, economics. We can start to get into ideas of how government may be suggested by Jesus, Um, but I don't think that that's what's going on here. You could also argue that maybe Jesus is advocating for a dictatorship, right? 
um, that does whatever he wants, pays whatever he wants. Um, capitalist approach, right? You could go both ends of the spectrum because then the guy's like, hey, don't I have the right to do whatever I want with my money and I can spend it however I want? So we can get all hung up on all that stuff. We're not, okay? Um, really what Jesus is describing is the character of God, the character of the farmer. Because the end of the story really comes around and it doesn't say, well, I believe that everyone should have equal pay regardless of how much they work. It was about generosity. So I want to really focus in on that and begin to unpack it. And maybe it does have implications for other things. But really what I think what Jesus is doing, when you look at the, the, the parable before that, talking about the rich of the kingdom, um, and really the context of what Jesus is trying to do, is he's talking about the kingdom and what God looks like and what this kingdom looks like that Jesus keeps preaching about. Because the disciples seem to be confused about it at times. And so this parable shows us what to expect in relationship to God. What kind of God do we interact with? Is this a God that's angry at us all the time, that wants to make life unfair for some and really take from some people and other people just get lots? What's the deal with that? How do we begin to interact with this God? And what we see is Jesus describe a God that is generous. A God that says, don't I have the right to be just bless some people beyond what I even want to? Like, don't I have the right to do that? And what we see is a God that is so loving, so generous, and that gives this kind of gift uh, freely. And so we're going to talk a little bit about grace uh, as we dig into this. So um, that last line, I think, really, really sums it up, which is why we're going to kind of focus on that. But this term grace... Um, is not something we like. It's the same reason that these workers didn't like it, right? There, what were the response? What was the response of the workers that worked super hard all day long? Do you guys remember what? It's unfair. Why did they get more and we get less? Um, here's my question: Did those initial workers agree to a denarius when they started the day? Did they? I don't know if they shook hands or not, or if they just did a high five and like, yeah, right on, let's go. Um, there was no contract written, but they knew. They said, didn't we agree to one denarius for the day's work? Yeah. They should have been happy. Like, yeah, we, we agreed to one denarius. And they, picture this story if you subtract out the other workers that came the rest of the day. No one shows up the rest of the day. You work your day. Would they have been angry? No. Because they don't have anything to compare it to, which is what we're going to hit on a little bit. Comparison... Oh, I might be just jumping ahead, but um, Teddy Roosevelt says comparison is a thief of joy, right? Comparison. I think Jesus threw those other characters into the story because when we begin to compare our lives to other people, it's pretty easy to be like, why did they get three donuts and I got one donut, right? Like, see my kids instantly, it's like a trigger word right there. <laughs> what are you talking about, you know? Um, why does, why does my neighbor have a nicer car than I do? Like, why did they get this? Why did they get this better job that's way cushier and easier and they make way more money than I do? Like, what's going on? I slave over here working super hard to try and get this stuff done. Um, the comparison game, it's never ending, right? And our culture just feeds into it, especially with social media. If you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, if you're on anything, X, is that the, <laughs> right? I just realized that my Twitter now is just an X. I'm like, Man, I'm late to the game. I've not been checking that at all. Shows how much I 
time I spent on Twitter. Um, but any platform, you sit on there long enough, you're going to go, wait, what? Like, why do they have this? Why, you know, and the comparison game just keeps going. Um, and so I find the most joy when I'm not on those platforms. Um, I've been trying to limit that. And, uh, but that's our culture. Our culture tells us if someone has more, you should want that. And we get really hungry for all of that, um, metaphorically and literally, right? Like sometimes the food is just way better in other people's cupboard. Um, and when you see people posting their, I don't know, their Instagram barbecue pics, and you're like, whoa, they got steaks, whatever, for lunch, I'm in. Um, but man, that, that jealousy factor just, it seeps in. And that's what Jesus points to. The initial workers could have been totally content with that single denarius. They could have went home and been completely fine, but they got distracted. Um, so when we talk about grace and what is demonstrated here is an example of extreme generosity where it's not deserved. The last workers, sure, like in our eyes, we would say they didn't deserve it. But if the farm worker, if the, the boss wants to say, I'm going to give you a denarius, that's his decision. And if that's the agreement that they have, that's totally fine. That can happen. But that frustrates us. If someone cuts us in line, we are frustrated because we're like, I've been waiting here for an hour. And now you're, you just get to cut this whole thing. Like, I get it. It doesn't make sense. But what we're talking about here is kingdom kind of conversations, not material kind of conversations, not necessarily time. And what we see here is a generosity that this conversation can lean more into, can't I just do whatever I want for as long as I want and then just say a prayer at the end and then be good with God? Like, why do these guys get to, like, just not work all day and just get off easy and then come into the kingdom at the very end? Because we're talking about kingdom here. We're not talking about material wealth or those kind of things. It is, but it isn't. And so do people just get to live their life however they want and then on their deathbed just be like, sorry, Jesus, I love you, and I want to go into your kingdom and be in heaven forever? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, right? It, it makes for like a really complicated conversation. I don't want to take that risk because what I see in Jesus <laughs> is a life that is lived that our culture tells it, yeah, live it up. But the idea of living it up really doesn't bring joy. If you talk to anybody who has, well, not anybody, but many people who have accrued lots of wealth, lots of fame, lots of whatever, they find that really those things don't fulfill like we all think they do. Or they're still chasing, and they're like, well, if I just get another million or another this, and it just never ends, never content, never happy. And so that, that carrot just keeps luring them further and further. And, but we start to discover that those things don't bring joy, that really, as we begin to discover the character of God, of love, of deepening relationships with, with God and each other, that that begins to satisfy us way more. It fulfills way more than all these other things, right? And so what I see here is just a recognition of God's generosity in our lives. And that's why we use that, that moment of just being grateful, being thankful. When we are thankful, it changes our posture, doesn't it? 
right? If I told us all for a moment right now, list out five major things in your life right now that you're thankful for, and then think about some other people in the world, whether or not they have them or not, you'd probably go, wow, I have a lot, right? But we walk out this door and we compare ourselves to everyone else here. And we go, well, my car's not as high-end as the next person or my house or my whatever, my job, my family. The list goes on, right? But if you begin to compare that globally to what other people have, I have a running car. I have a car, right? Like, that's a lot to be thankful, a home. Um, Our posture just changes. And I just use that as an example because when we begin to see what God is doing in our lives from a different vantage point, when we see it from a vantage point of generosity, when we see it from a vantage point of grace, we begin to see something more. And when we talk about grace, that definition, I kind of skipped over it a little bit, but the idea of grace is unmerited favor. That's like the easiest way to sum it up. Another way to sum it up is gift, a free gift, something that's given to you whether you earned it or not. Those workers at the end of the day didn't completely, didn't they earn it somehow? They did work, right? Um, but a gift that is unmerited, that we don't deserve, is what God gives us on a daily basis. He continually gives us that gift, the free gift of life, breath. The fact that we can sit here and just go, that's a gift. If you begin to go down the list of simple things, the fact that you are alive, the fact that we're sitting here, and you start to list off people that are in your life, we have so much to be thankful for in spite of all the things that I've done that are horrendous to other people, the rude things that I've said to people, in spite of all of that, God still, we get to sit here or stand here and be in his presence. How amazing is that? Like, it's such an amazing gift that we get to be here. And so when we begin to have this understanding, I think it changes our posture. It changes our perspective. Um, One of the things I heard this week was that there's a five-to-one rule. We need to hear five encouraging words to make up for one negative comment. You guys agree? Because when we hear one negative comment, we go, yeah, I'm horrible. My life's a mess. Give up. Like, it's just, like, my day is horrible. It's, it's not worth living. It's not worth whatever. I'm just down. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. But you hear five positive things. Isn't that crazy? You could hear five positive. You could hear four, and it still doesn't outweigh that one. Five positive things it requires for us to have that, to get over that hump, to go, yes, I feel that weight of encouragement. So if that's what, a, what it requires for us to really receive that and feel that, how often do we need to be encouraging one another? How often do we need to be thinking on things that we are grateful for that we're, that'll change our posture or change our attitude, right? Um, we watch a show um, called Ryan, uh, Ryan, Ryan Trahan. He's on YouTube. He's a YouTuber that's gone crazy. He's got millions of views. But one of the things he does is he goes into one-star rated restaurants and hotels and has to go in and find what is good about them and give them a five-star review. And it's just funny watching his process because he'll read the reviews and they'll be like super angry and livid about all kinds of stuff that the restaurant isn't doing right, how well, how bad they were treated, how bad the food was. And he goes in and discovers a lot of times completely the opposite. He's like, 
the restaurant was actually very kind. They had the best food I've had, and it completely flips it around. And so like these negative comments that a lot of times we read or we get sucked into um, that we start to head nod towards um, can be deceiving, and they can let us down. And, and I love his attitude because he's just always positive, always happy, always excited. And it's just inspiring to see how he's just like, I'm going to find the good in whatever's going on. And many times he finds really amazing things in those scenarios rather than focusing on the negative. And I think that kind of hints at what we see here in these workers that are like, man, why are we getting the bad end of this deal? Like, why are we not getting what we deserve, you know? And instead going, we got a day's wage. We got paid. I agreed to that. I'm thankful for it. And so our posture, our attitude is so key. Um, my suggestion in what I've discovered, and I'm going to share a little bit from my life right now, and then we'll close out, um, to change this posture, to change our attitude, to change our perspective about what God is doing, the gift of life that we have on a continual basis, I think it requires us knowing why we do what we do. Okay? And I say that because those initial workers, if they knew, and I've already kind of hit on this, if they fully knew that it was a day's wage and it was going to be one denarius, um, if they were completely convinced that that was it and that was plenty and that they were there for that purpose, it would change their mindset, right? Because again, like if they didn't know those other workers showed up, they would have been fine. They would have walked out at the end of the day high-fiving each other, going, hey, it was an awesome day of work. Glad we crushed it. We got our denarius. Let's go have dinner. But because they had that other perspective, because they, had, they saw something else and they compared themselves to others, they lost out on a moment of just being fully content and happy. And I think when we know what we are called to do, and I don't want to just say we put blinders on, but when we know what we are called to do that day, it changes everything. Like when I know that my mission today is, so for me, I have two jobs, right? I'm bivocational. Um, it's my goal to try and keep this space open and not take a bunch of salary from the church, but also I love carpentry. I love the creative outlet that I have through working and creating um, through woodworking. I, I love that. It's like it, it does something in my soul, and I love the way that I can connect with people in the community through my woodworking. So when I know that that's what I'm called to do, um, it's so deeply satisfying but here's my confession. I forget that. I sometimes forget that because I compare myself to others and I go, I even compare maybe our church to other churches and I go, well, other churches are bigger. They have more budget. They have more stuff to do all that. And I'm like, I'm, again, I'm doing the same thing that these workers are doing where they're comparing and going, well, they have this. So I'm not going to be content with what this is. If you would have asked me eight years ago when we planted this church that this is what it would look like, I'd be like, this is awesome. Like people connecting, loving one another, serving doing amazing things with what we're doing in Haiti. Like, it blows my mind when I see what God's doing through that and doing through you in that process, that that's inspiring. I would have been like, yeah, that's great. And then when I talk about carpentry, I'm like, there's always bigger, there's always more money, better jobs. I can make more money doing all that stuff. And so, again, comparison is that thief of joy where I can compare my own life and I get so hung up on that. And I go like, well, it's not working the way I want. That's only because I've compared my life to someone else for a while. 
And I'm not saying give up on dreams and, and pursuing what you feel like God's calling you to do, but if you get so distracted with other things and your focus is not on what you feel you know what God's called you to do, we get distracted and lost in, the, in all of that. And then we start to get depressed because we're going, oh, I don't have what they have, and it's not working the way that I want it to work because that's what some you know, guru in whatever field you're in told me it should look like. It doesn't work that way. I believe if we're truly focused, God's grace will work in the midst of that, and we will have this deep sense of satisfaction and joy and contentment doing what we're doing, right? Not always looking for the bigger, better deal, the other thing. Let's be content, stoked on where God's put us, and completely happy in the midst of that because of his grace that is continuing at, at work. I want to close with this. Um, there is a really quick story that I want to read that I think encapsulates what happened here. Um, when we begin to simply acknowledge our need for God, our need to patiently wait for God in the midst of whatever circumstance it is, um, God's grace begins to speak to us, and it fulfills us, and it gives us meaning and significance and value. Um, so I'm going to read this, and I hope that this, this captures it. I hope I can convey this. So Simon answered, I suppose the one who gave the most, this is a conversation that Jesus has with uh, Simon Peter. And he says, that's right. He said, Jesus, um, that's right, said Jesus. Then turning to a woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. I know some of you guys are like, wait, why is this woman kissing Jesus' feet? and anointing him. She anoints him with oil. Um, you provided nothing for refreshing up, for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. When we recognize that we've been given much, the same way this woman who sat and worshiped Jesus um, she'd recognized that her life was filled with uh, sin that had drug her away from her relationship with God. And now she recognized that and just falls at his feet, washes his feet with her hair and her tears, um, pours out oil to anoint him. And what Jesus points out there is that she's recognized how much she's been given, how much grace has been poured out on her life. Her, she's, she's completely grateful. And in that moment, she recognizes that, she then responds out of that. And I think that's the invitation that we have to respond out of gratitude, that when we, are, when we recognize that we've been forgiven so much, that we've been given life, life to the full, that when Jesus' body was broken and poured out for us, we get to experience that on a daily basis. And that's the free gift that's given to all of us continuously. And so... Um, I guess my encouragement is that we, we really soak that up. And in these last couple of minutes, I want to share a quick story. Um, how many of you guys have heard of Brian Regan? Anybody? He's a comedian. Okay. This story has stuck with me forever because I haven't listened to it in a really long time. But um, he talks about, as a child, playing t-ball. Anybody played t-ball? Baseball? Softball? Anything? Okay, cool. So he talks about, as a child, playing 
uh, T-ball and how when he would show up in the T-ball field, um, if he played half a game, all the team at the end of the game gets a snow cone. Like the team gets, they get hooked up. They get a snow cone no matter what. Okay, so he's like, if I play an entire game, I get a snow cone. If I play half game, if I'm just in the outfield doing my thing, I get a snow cone, right? To get this free gift. And, um, and he talks about how he's just like, he didn't fully understand the game. He was kind of just like delirious out in the field, turning around, doing whatever. And he just, all he could think about is this grape snow cone, because grape's favorite. Um, and so he's just obsessed with that. And he, so he talks about how like, no matter what, if I show up on the baseball field, I get this free gift of a snow cone. And when I thought about that, um, when I think about like our lives, like many times I think we think that we have to, I think, put out a certain amount of effort, that we have to be religious in a certain way um, to earn God's love. I believe that what God's love is like is that like we all get that free snow cone. Some of us are meant to play a lot of innings. Some of us are meant to play portions of the field that, um, that you play really well. Some of us are batters. Some of us are pitchers. We all play our part, and we know our role, but at the end of the game, everybody gets a snow cone, right? And he's just, like, obsessed with the snow cone. He goes on and raves on about it over and over. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but when I think of that, I think of, like, God's grace poured out on us continuously, that each one of us receives that grace nonstop. That's why I think this ties in beautifully with communion, that Jesus continually offers his love, the gift of life over and over and over, and just says, I want you to experience life and life to the full. Free snow cone, everybody, right? And I know it's kind of like a, like a childish um, story or whatever, but what I see there is just such a generosity, such a, a gift of love that I think we forget sometimes of how much God loves us, how much that gift of love exists continually. And so we have not snow cones, but we have popsicles in the freezer. No, hold on. Uh, Paul's grabbing them already. I know the kids are excited. Uh, we have popsicles. Um, just as a reminder, everybody gets one, whether you earned it or not. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but hopefully that sticks with us as we go throughout this week, that everyone gets a free snow cone. Like what God is doing is continually loving us, continually pouring out that love on us. And so I just hope that's a reminder in us today as we read this parable. Um, and so let me pray over us and... Um, and maybe live into that, that free gift. And I threw a prayer that is in the notes. So if you have the digital bulletin, um, this prayer, I'm going to read it as we close out as our prayer, um, because I believe it, it really captures that posture that we're invited to of living into that grace. Um, not using it, not giving it up, like not just saying, oh, God's gift of love is here, and so I'm just going to bask in it. Because those workers worked, right? They still, like, they had a purpose. They have meaning, and they served out of a joy until they got jealous. So here's what happens. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me, what, put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. That's a hard one to pray, to sometimes be put aside. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me, be, let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful holy God, 
creator, redeemer, and sustainer. You are mine, and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen? Amen. Enjoy popsicles in the back (laughs) and some coffee. Kids are fired up.